Our reading today comes from Luke 24, verses 28 through 31. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. This might look something like what you saw last week. We're talking about Christianity's family tree and how it is that we got from Jesus to Faith United Methodist Church. Now that's a big job and we're going to have to leave out several parts, but over the next three weeks we're going to try to get as far as we can. So last week you talked about Jesus and then there were these 300 years after Jesus where it was a little bit unclear about whether this new movement called the way, the way of those who would follow after Jesus, was actually a part of the, the Jewish movement and the Jewish tradition and religion or if it was something different. So you can't really call it Christianity at that point in time probably until the Emperor Constantine comes to power and makes it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And then it really does move into a different uh, time frame there, Christianity. And for the first next, well I should say for the next 700 years, but for that first thousand years of those first 300 and then the 700, there was one church. Okay, There, there weren't any other expressions of it, it was just the church. And then we had what was called the Great Schism in 1054 AD, and the church was split regionally. It was the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And they split over a number of things, but Pastor Heather told you that the straw that broke the camel's back was when the Western Church wanted to add and the Son into the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed is one of the most ancient creeds and statements of belief that we have uh, in the church. It was agreed upon in the year 325. So, I mean, let's just think about that. That's like a long time ago. And we've been fighting all throughout the history of, of who we are as church. And we've also been one throughout all of that history. That's really what I want to point us to today. So, at that point, then, notice that Catholicism develops a big C because it becomes its own branch of the church. And you probably know it now today as Roman Catholicism because the head of the church and the headquarters and the Pope was in Rome. And that's the Western Church. Okay, The Eastern Church headquartered in Constantinople became the Orthodox uh, line of the church and today, many times, the Orthodox Church is identified by its ethnic heritage. It will either be the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church. And so, really, that, that became kind of, if you want to think of it, as the first two denominations. Really, there was no denomination at all for the first thousand years. I mean, I think we just got it, you know, like, how long have we been church? We're in the year 20... 19, right, for 2,000 years or so, for the first half of our history, it was the church, the church. So we're going to today dive into what the creeds, 
help us understand about that first thousand years, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the next 500 years as well. Remember I told you the Nicene Creed? One of those first real statements of faith that had to be voted on by a big church committee uh, in the Council of Nicaea. And, and they agreed on this particular wording. So let's pull out our hymnals. Let's see if we can do a little research together here. Okay, Turn to the back, number 880. You read this as your affirmation of faith last week in worship. This is the Nicene Creed. Very, very ancient words of the church. And notice what it says about the church. It says, we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Okay? You turn to the next page. You're just uh, one page over. You're at the Apostles' Creed. Also a very, very ancient a statement of faith, a creed. And there's the traditional version and the ecumenical version, but they all say this. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, Now... Each of those has an asterisk by the word Catholic. And notice that the C is lowercase, right? When you look down below and you see what that asterisk is indicating, what is the word there? Instead of Catholic, it is universal, okay? So what we're going to talk about today is the difference between the big C and the little C, okay? That word Catholic is not a proper noun. Okay? It's not a denomination. Not for many, many, many more years. Not until after 1054. Okay? Then Catholic becomes the, the nomer for the Western church. That becomes the Catholic church. And the Eastern church becomes the Orthodox church. Okay? But before that, it's just the church. And even today, when you look it up, what you're going to find is Catholic with a lowercase c is actually an adjective that means all-embracing. Synonyms include diverse, wide, broad, eclectic, indiscriminate. So we could actually read our creeds, our ancient creeds, this way. We believe in one holy, all-embracing, and apostolic church. I like that. Do you like that? be great to belong to that. Now, I know what your next question is. So what does apostolic mean? And that's another sermon. <laughs> I don't have time to get into that today. That would be a great sermon. Uh, we just can't do that one today. Okay. This is our sermon today. Big C versus little c. And it expresses the difference between the institution, which is represented by the capital C. It's a proper noun. Okay? It's a denomination, it's, it's a way of naming something specific. And the little c of either Catholic or church, whichever you choose, that expresses the lived beauty of the body of Christ. Now this is an oversimplification, but you might think about it like this. The big c in, in church or Catholic represents a building. The little c in, in Catholic or church represents the people. Now we need both. I mean, you know, it's pretty important for you to have a building to come to to gather on Sunday morning. And, and we have all kinds of ways that, that we live out our life together through things like committees or charge conferences or you know, we have a book of discipline that represents the big C, the proper noun, the United Methodist Church, which is specific. Okay? But 
That all could not be if we were not a part of the little c, the lived expression of the body of Christ. When Jesus died, he gave the Great Commission. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, he says, Go into all the world, make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ, teaching them everything I have taught you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the job of the people, to go out and to live what it means to be the body of Christ. So we're talking today about the big C versus the little C. Both are important. We're going to focus on the little C. And we're going to talk about what it means to belong to the church. Now, when my dear husband was creating that slide for me, I did not realize that when I told him it was to be a heading, that we actually need a little C. Okay? So if you would, let's just like get some white out on the screen, you know, and erase the big C and make that a little C. Because that's what we're talking about, and it's very important today, it matters, right? That what we're talking about is what does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? To the lived expression of faith among all God's people throughout all of history in every time and place. And because we are all one in Jesus Christ. This is a part of our belief and, and how we live out what it means to be Christian. Okay? I want to offer you three images of what it means to belong to the church with a little c. Those who belong to the church with a little c are covenantal people. We are a people who live in relationship with God. We are a part of that relationship. We don't define that relationship, but we participate in it. And it has always been this way. If we go all the way back to the earliest history that we have of what it means to be people of faith, we're talking about the book of Genesis, if you're, if you're looking in your Bibles. The very, very, very beginning. What we read about is, is that God reaches out to Adam and Eve to establish relationship. That God reaches out to Noah in covenant to establish relationship. And after the great flood, what does God do? Set in the clouds a rainbow as a sign of the covenant. The promise that God makes is I want to be continuing to be in relationship with you. And then from Noah and that covenant that's established there, then we begin to, to read about the covenant that God establishes with Abraham. And says, Abraham, I will make you, through your descendants, I will make you a blessing to the ends of the earth because I so want to be in relationship with this people that I have created. And that relationship happens through covenant, which always comes at God's initiative. That's something we see in Scripture over and over and over again. It's not because we respond. That's not what makes the covenant valid. It's that God gives it. And then we move from Abraham and, and all of the crazy stuff that happens in that family. Oh my goodness, talk about dysfunction. Wow. I mean, all throughout the, the rest of the, the book of Genesis, you just see it over and over and over again. And God remains, what? Faithful to the covenant. And then we come to the book of Exodus, where God reaches out again to the prophet Moses and says, through the covenant of what they come to call the law or the Torah, which really truly means instruction about how to be God's people. So again, here's this covenant. I love you, you people that I have made. I want to be in covenant with you. I want to establish with you this relationship. So we are that covenantal people. The prophets call us back to faithfulness of the covenant. 
And finally, God sends the, the ultimate prophet who becomes the Messiah. His name was Jesus. And as Jesus is at the table in the Last Supper with his disciples, he says, and I make with you a new covenant. This, this bread, this wine that is offered for you, it's the sign of the new covenant for you and for all people anywhere of the forgiveness of sins that is now possible through Jesus, not just for one people, but for all people. And so we are that. We are that covenantal people. So here's what we need to know in terms of the church, is that our, our relationship with God exists because of God's faithfulness to the covenant. God has chosen to be gracious to us, to love us as God's people. And that faithfulness is expressed in the covenant. And so as a people who have received grace, a covenantal people are a people who give grace. Like, that's our identity. We have received God's faithfulness over and over and over and over. So, so what it means to belong to the church with a little c is that we are a people who give grace over and over and over and over again. We are an example of that covenant to the world. Next, we are a sacramental people. So that comes from the word sacrament. These means of grace that God uses in our gathered community to become real to us. In our church, we recognize two sacraments, which across Christianity are, are known either as ordinances or sacraments, baptism and holy communion. And we are a people who come to God's unconditional love through the sacraments. We are a sacramental people. So here I want to draw our attention to the text from today, from Luke's gospel. Because what you'll notice is that it is in the breaking of the bread that, that their eyes are opened. And we have always believed, friends, as the church with the little c, we have always believed that there is something amazing that happens in communion. We can't define it. We don't understand it. We call it a mystery, particularly our Orthodox brothers and sisters. And that's very important to them. In fact, they even call it the divine mystery when you come to the table. The Roman Catholics will call it the Mass. Sometimes it's known as the Eucharist, which is the Greek word for thanksgiving. So, so we don't know how that happens. But we know that it's very significant what happens at the table. And we are a sacramental people. We claim the significance of the table and of baptism. Again, that's another sermon. Okay? But now, let's talk about the fact that we don't all understand that the same way. Okay? How many people in here have relatives or have been in the Roman Catholic Church at some point? Anybody? Okay. I thought there'd be quite a few. For some reason, that's just a part of our identity here at Faith. That we, we have a deep uh, tradition uh, of Roman Catholicism among us. If you are Roman Catholic or you know well someone who is, one of the things you're going to know is that the priest in the, the words in the ancient prayers that are said at the table invokes a transformation of those elements. Bread, and for them it would be wine. We're Methodists, so we use grape juice. Amen? Okay, just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Okay, so, so the bread and the wine in those ancient prayers actually become the body and blood of Christ. Their understanding of that is, is a beautiful word 
that you can write down and say later and no one will know what you mean. Transubstantiation. Isn't that a great word? That's what it's called. Transubstantiation when the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. And then in the partaking of that, then we are, we are retaking this sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. Okay? Other branches of Christianity understand that through the third person of the Trinity, not the second person, the Son, but the third person of the Trinity known as the Holy Spirit. And the way the Holy Spirit infuses the life of the gathered community together that that's where the transformation is. It's not in the transformation of the elements, it's in the transformation of the people. Now there are other branches who would say, it's kind of a special snack. Okay? You know, anybody can do it anytime, anywhere. That's different, don't you think? I mean, to go from it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ to grape juice and Oreos, that's okay. Wow. And so this is what I want you to remember as a sacramental people. This is so important to our identity. Unity is not uniformity. Okay? Can you get the impact of that? We are all, everyone who claims the name Christ, the small, the small C church, we are all unity. We're one. Okay? And we all understand the table to be central. But that does not mean that we practice that the same way. It's not uniformity. And I don't know about you, but I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful that, I mean, you don't even have to get in your car. There are so many churches along 91st Street. You could walk to another one. And it's not going to look at all like what we do here at Faith. But do they belong to the church, the small C? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are one in Jesus Christ. And the table is so central to how we express that. So we are a sacramental people. Finally, we are a rooted people. We are connected to our past in ways that matter. So here's the second thing I need for you to remember today. We cannot be the church with a small C without a rearview mirror. So those of you who drive in here or who have who have driven at some point in your life, I want you to think about how hard it would be for you to drive without a rearview mirror. If all you could see was what was ahead of you, and let's just pretend that you couldn't turn around and look, okay? <laughs> You're going to have a lot of accidents. Friends, as the church, we have a rearview mirror, and it's very important to us. What has happened, now remember, how long have we been the church, Anybody? Thank you, 2,000 years. That's a lot of rearview mirror. It's not the last 50 years. It's not the last 20 years. It's not the last year. You know, this is the famous last words of the church. Have you heard them? We've never done it that way before. <laughs> well, maybe not in your history, or maybe not in your parents' or your grandparents' history, but I can promise you somewhere in 2,000 years they've done it that way before. Right, So we have this rearview mirror, and we look in that rearview mirror, and we appreciate what is there. Because we are a rooted people to this ancient tradition. Remember last week, Pastor Heather told you about her cousin Emily, who went thousands of miles away and stood at the grave of St. Francis of Assisi and wept. 
Because her recognition was, all of a sudden, I am a part of something that is so much more ancient than anything I can imagine. I might remember my grandparents. I might even remember my great-great-grandparents. But we're talking about people I will never know. Cultures I will never understand. And they are all a part of the church with the little C because we are rooted people. Now, this is just my own personal uh, issue, okay? But Christianity is not about me and Jesus. That's a very recent development in the history of the church. Now, salvation has always been key to who the church is. But this is what I need for us to understand today. If we have our rearview mirror and we're looking at the history of the church, salvation is both individual and corporate. Jesus didn't die just to save you. Jesus died to save the world. Okay? That's a part of what it means to be a rooted people, to look in that rearview mirror and to appreciate our history and our tradition. Now, when we look in our rearview mirror, what we're going to see is both good and bad. We're going to see the Crusades. Not our best phase of history as the church. Can we agree on that? We're going to see the Inquisition. Not our best day. Okay? We're also going to see how throughout all the world the church has been in those places of need to be a tangible presence of Christ for those who needed it the most. Now that's good. But if you hold on to that rearview mirror, you're going to see both good and bad. So in this 500 years between the Great Schism of 1054 and what is now known, it wasn't at the time, as the Protestant Reformation during the 1500s. If you read uh, the Friday email, you got to see Pastor Heather standing on the steps of the, the church in Wittenberg, Germany, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door, which I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, that she actually got to stand there. And again, the rearview mirror of remembering how powerful that was. Okay, And we're going to talk about the results of that next week. But for that 500 years, one of the things that you see in your rearview mirror is that the church and the state were one. Now, we don't understand that in the United States, in the way the church is expressed in North America even, because we have something called the separation of church and... right. This is kind of, you know, we learn this in elementary school. This is part of who we are, how our country was founded, this kind of thing. But it just wasn't that way. Particularly not in Europe, and particularly not in the Western church. The church and the state, there, were, there was no difference. It was the power structure. And that allowed for a level of corruption that you cannot imagine. I mean, the church is plenty corrupt now. Believe me, I can tell you, Okay. But, but this is a corruption that, that goes beyond anything that you can imagine. It actually set up what became not the next split. Remember, there was a split between the East and the West. What happened next was a splintering. It's called the Protestant Reformation. That's what we'll talk about next week. So when you look in the rearview mirror, you see these things. And that's important because that's a part of our collective memory. It helps shape who we are as the people of God, the church with a little c. Finally, what I want to be able to say to us is this church with a little c, this is where we belong. Both good and bad. Both beautiful and terrifying. We are a covenantal people. We are a sacramental people. And we are a rooted people. And not just here at Faith United Methodist Church. 
but the church down the street, the church across the state, the church around the world. We are the church, the people, the body of Christ with a small c. So that's unity. Okay, This is a place where all who claim the name Christ belong. Now, the way we express that, our traditions, our books of discipline, our, our rules, all that stuff, that may all be different, and that's okay because we don't have to be uniform, but we do have to have unity. So I want to close today with some phrases from Affirmations of Faith that were written after 1054, for which the, the capital C Catholic Church would mean something very different. So we use different words, and if you have your hymnals, when you look up number 883, just a little ways past the Nicene in the Apostles' Creed, what it says is we are called to be the church with a small c, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil. That's what it means to be a part of the church, small c. Then next, number 884, which is the uh, Korean Methodist Church Statement of Faith. We believe in the church, again, with a small c. Okay? Those who are united in the living Lord for the purpose of word and service. That's what we do. We come together on Sunday morning and we hear the word. And we learn and we grow together so that we can go out and serve. That's why our mission statement is inviting people to Christ-centered service. Because this is who we are as the church with a small c. Finally, number 886 in the World Methodist Social Affirmation, it says, we commit ourselves individually and as a community to the way of Christ. It doesn't use the word church, but it describes for us what it means to belong to the church with a small c. So friends, church with a small c, what I want you to, to take away from this today is that it's our home. It's, it's a tree in which we find shelter under her branches and strength in her roots. My prayer for us today is that God would make us more faithful as those who stand in a long, 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 long line of all who have claimed the name Christ in every place, in every way, in every culture. And that in that continuity, we would find a vision to be church like that. Amen.